If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Really excited to be back to the One Voice Podcast meeting with you guys again. It's been quite a year and I'm just really grateful for this space, especially for all of the survivors who are listening each time we put up a new podcast. I feel like the content that we have been sharing and and the interviews that we've had have just um, opened up a lot of discussion amongst all of us. I'm really grateful for this space to talk about some hard things, but also to just inspire. And so today we have Glenn Head, a cartoonist with us today. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Glenn, this is Um, Like I said to you earlier, the first time we've had a cartoonist on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very cool. However, the content that you just released is what I think we all can really relate to. And I'm excited to even know someone who is releasing an actual memoir, a graphic novel memoir about their own abuse. And your book, it's called Chartwell Manor. It's releasing, tell me again. May 25th. Yes. And I want you to, in a moment, be able to dive into, you know, a little bit of your story if you're willing. Um, But as I've kind of read and gotten to know a bit about your new graphic novel memoir, Chartwell Manor, um, gosh, it's it's something that I found to be, um, it made me really take a breath when I saw some of the pictures and the words that you were using to describe your experience, this two years where you were attending a boarding school, right? Run by what you had even said in the book, a serial sexual and physical abuser of young boys. Correct. Yeah. There's not a lot of books, honestly, at this point in my journey, um, just being so public about my story, not a lot of books out there that really make me sit and, and sit with the feelings. But I think it is because you're not only talking about it, but you're drawing it. Yes. There yes. is something really powerful about that, isn't there, Glenn? Yeah, I, I've thought about that a lot. Somebody pointed this out that it, it's one thing to write down everything that's happened to you. It's yet another thing to actually draw it. Mm. So that does add an extra level of intensity and, you know, hopefully graphic power. Um, I've been doing comics my whole life. So I'm not somebody who like saw that the memoir or the graphic novel or something like that was a hot ticket that I could jump on board with. In other words, I knew this material inside out and had seen it as comic book material. See, Um, I looked at the serial pedophile, this character, Terrence Michael Lynch, as uh, good comic book material, somebody who uh, is kind of like the ultimate cartoon villain. Mm. See, Um, he's almost like a comic book, an underground comics parody of a boarding school headmaster, just Mm -hmm. really absurd and extreme and like Falstaff, you know, really a liar, a Mm-hmm. an abuser and, and uh, a charismatic type who 
would take advantage of anybody he could. So I guess that's just my way of saying that uh, I'd always seen this as material and I was really, I was looking forward to using it probably from uh, dating back to the time I was there because wow. the, the experience itself was very atmospheric and, and uh, extreme. And yeah. I, I felt it lent itself well to uh, the comic book genre, the comic mm. book medium. And I had read about you that you started drawing comics at 14 years old. What age were you at the boarding school when the abuse occurred? Uh, I was, I was 13 actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's something that I, that I include in the book is that uh, for better or worse, it sort of uh, forged my identity for me as an artist when I was there. That's when I first got really into drawing and received some accolades from the school for being mm-hmm. a good artist. So that was the one uh, bright part of being there. But yeah. yeah, that, that was also when I, when I first saw underground comics and uh, sort of delved into that world. Mm-hmm. Would you say art has been, or drawing has been a form of coping? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, um, see, as a kid ending up at a school like this, you end up there partly because things aren't working out in public school. And so you go there and there are going to be other kids like you who, you know, things weren't working out in public school. Mm-hmm. And one part of me really wanted to behave and do well and all that. And the other part of me was more apt to want to hang out with sort of the more juvenile delinquent type kids, which mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I was doing that and at the same time, a little bit afraid of getting sucked in too much to juvenile delinquent behavior. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the way to not get sucked into that was to take the safe route. And art is always a safe route, basically, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're making art, you're drawing, you're uh, not getting in trouble. So that was, those were like these two competing sides to me. One, which was that I might get in trouble which I depict in the, in the school, you know, in the uh, comic itself, get in trouble with the headmaster, get in trouble with maybe some other kids. But on the other hand, I had the art as a kind of uh, safe place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you were going through all of that, or even soon after you had left the school, um, did you find yourself even drawing about the abuse or was it always about other things? Well, um, I think that, I guess one thing that I'd say to that is that uh, you tend to get drawn to a lot of different things that you want to work with. But when you really look at them, you can see that there's something underneath those Mm -hmm. things that you're drawn to. For instance, what I was really interested in and have always been into is crime comics, Mm -hmm. Um, crime comics from the forties and fifties, especially. And I love the energy and crime has built-in conflicts in it, you know, so it's, it's perfect for storytelling. But if I look at it a little deeper, see, this is the ultimate Glenn Head crime comic because it's all about the serial abuser and the crimes he commits and the people who were victimized by him, including me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, crime and punishment because in the latter parts of the book, you find out what has become of this abuser. 
So I guess what I'm saying is you're, you're drawn to things for a different reason than you think you might be drawn to them for. Yeah. And if you look at it deeply enough, you then see that, for instance, in this case, the crime that I was really going to have to draw was this one. And the criminal that I was really going to have to draw was mm. this one, Terrence Michael Lynch. And so, Glenn, you, I mean, you've been a cartoonist for years and years, and you've done some incredible work that's well-known. And it's interesting to me to hear about your journey to where you are now in releasing this, this memoir. Yeah. I wonder if you look back and you do you see how, like, everything you were doing pointed you to eventually telling your own story? Or was that something that kind of just came up and it was just like, okay, now this is, this is what I need to do next. Well, um, I guess what I'd say is that like, in a lot of ways, it's been on the back burner for a lot of years, maybe from, as I was saying, the time I was there, because I, I saw it as such potent material. Mm -hmm. It was so atmospheric. The place seemed really Gothic. Yeah. like a sort of horror crime story. Mm. So as, as material, I felt like uh, always that it was, was worthwhile. Yeah. And the other thing is that I had made a lot of attempts at working with it over the years okay. and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And um, yeah. I believe it's partly because I hadn't processed the experiences, you know, okay, um, yeah. though I was in therapy, I didn't also have enough distance from the entire experience. And a lot of the experience, if you can ever say an experience like this is over, wasn't over. Yeah. But then there's the other things that just relate to the form of the medium, which is that, see, I had, and this is a while ago, at least 20 years ago, written a 32 page comic of the same title. And I tried drawing it and I just had to put it aside. Mm -hmm. And Looking back on it now, I can see that I just needed a much bigger canvas mm. because um, the story in this book isn't simply or primarily about Chartwell Manor. Mm. The story is really the aftermath and the process of experiencing Chartwell Manor. And that relates to, say, me and my family in particular. Mm. Uh, the point being, I needed, as I say, a much bigger canvas. It ended up being 236 pages because it had to cover all these different points in my life yeah, and how I could process them. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't ready at an earlier point to work on this bigger canvas. It's just a real challenge. You know, you could, yeah. you could compare it to the difference between writing, say, a short story and a novel. Mm -hmm. um, and what I grew up with and the way the medium used to work was basically 32 page comics for a mm. long time. That was really the thing. It was what I knew. And it was also the whole idea of the way the comic book medium worked was that it was kind of like uh, brevity is the soul of comics, meaning you're supposed to have a lot not in there. You're supposed to have a lot mm. between the panels. Yeah. The graphic novel, the advantage is that, um, you don't have to have a lot between the panels. You can have a lot in the story. You yeah. can have a lot of psychic and emotional stuff as part of the content. Mm -hmm. You can do that because, as I say, it's a bigger canvas. Yeah, and you're telling your whole story. Your whole truth is in there. 
Yeah, yeah. As much as you can fit. There's always more that you're not. You're always editing out. But yeah, mm -hmm. you can get as much as you need to in there. You can make a graphic novel 500 pages if you have the time uh, or the inclination or the drawing style that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it might take you forever. That's the I'm sure. <laughs> Well, I find it, it's just very intriguing. You know, so many survivors of sexual abuse you know, have a desire to write their story out, but it's so sure. hard. It's so hard to get started. And then it's so hard to then once you have it on paper, it's uh -huh. almost like, wow, that really happened to me. I'm wondering yeah. what your experience was. Was it, was it freeing for you to not only write it, but like draw it? You're seeing these images that you've actually lived or was it triggering to you to see it again? Like, how did that work with your healing journey and, you know, working mm -hmm. through your trauma at the same time? Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of those interesting questions that it's kind of like, it's a moving target. It definitely stirs a lot up. Like mm -hmm. there's a, there's a page where I actually draw myself being abused Wow. by Lynch. Yeah. And it's weird to draw that. Mm -hmm. And there's this part of you that's like, I can't believe I'm drawing this. What would my parents think? For instance, that's one of the things you're always thinking whenever you're dealing with the memoir, usually, mm. because mm. if you're into memoir, you can't escape family. Family is kind of the crux of it. Yeah. Ultimately, as I think I was saying, this becomes more of a family drama and the drama is between me and my parents more than it is between me and Lynch. But um, in answer to your question, I mean, about it freeing you or if there's a catharsis or anything like that, it becomes very complicated. Um, but the, the best answer I can give to how it's a catharsis and how it's freeing is that basically when you have an experience like this happen to you, and in a certain respect, it's defining, mm -hmm. but you don't want it to define you too much. Right. You want to define it. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, one way is to do what I did, because in doing what I did and drawing it, for better or worse, whether people like it or they don't, whether anybody sees it and thinks, oh, you shouldn't have drawn this, that's no longer my problem. And so I have defined it. I have defined that experience. I have drawn it. Hmm. And that is freeing hmm. because essentially with any abuser, I, I believe um, part of the power trip of the abuser is in seeking pleasure by ruining someone. And this is one reason why child abuse is often thought of as one of the worst crimes because it sets things in motion, a kind of auto-destruct within the person who's been abused. Mm -hmm. And that abuser, or rather the abused, has to figure out a way to shut off that auto-destruct button because having stayed in touch with some of the other Chartwell Manor kids. Mm. I believe they also had that auto-destruct button mm. because alcohol, other forms of uh, 
dangerous Which behavior yeah. tend to follow in the wake of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So hmm. it's kind of like taking your power back. It is because yeah. the abuser would rather you not take your power back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the abuser would prefer, although Lynch is dead, but wherever he is now, he would prefer that this book not have been drawn. Mm-hmm, of course. So those things can even spur you on to mm-hmm. draw them. Because yeah. you don't want to be, you don't want to be controlled by your abuser. Mm-hmm. You don't want them having any power over you. Mm-hmm. And there's various ways that you can do that. This is the way that I chose to do it. Right. This book. You mentioned that you've been in touch with some of the other boys. Have yeah. has finding your voice helped them to find theirs? I don't know. They haven't read it, so I don't know if it if it'll <laughs> help them. Um, I don't know. For for some people. Uh, for some people, you can usually tell, I I can usually tell whenever I'm uh, around any trauma survivor, like uh, a few years back, I uh, was speaking to a woman who had been a a Holocaust survivor, right? And I hadn't seen her in many, many, many years. She's the mother of a a woman, a girl I used to go out with. And when she was talking about what had happened to her in the camps, she was there. In other words, there, it was not integrated as an experience. It was something that was present and now. And this is something that you can see happening a lot with abuse survivors um, where the abuse is now, the trauma is now. It's not then, it's not way back then um, that you can look at and pick up and put back down again without it, you know, burning you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I, I believe that in a lot of cases that may be what, what happened for uh, some of the Chartwell kids. You know, one of them I know died, uh, a, a kid in the book whose name I changed. Um, it's actually somebody who I dedicated the book to. He was a good mm-hmm. friend of mine and mm-hmm. uh, he died a few years back mm-hmm. and it, it, it made me sad. I, I really liked the guy. We were, we were good friends. I, I dedicated the book to him and uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I know how badly affected he was. You know, okay. some, some kids were affected worse by it than others. Um, yeah. You know, we all were, but, but uh, mm-hmm. um. I mostly count myself lucky for always having had the outlet, you know, of, yeah. of, of the art because yeah. uh, that could help me get things down on paper that were true to me mm-hmm. as opposed to what I was told was true. That's the thing that really, really kills you. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things obviously is, as an abuse survivor is the lies that are put on you, you know, and in the case of yeah. being at this boarding school, um, what happens here stays here, you know, mm. it's kind of Jim Jones mentality, this kind of cult leader mentality. And like, yeah, it's, it's very damaging for kids to yeah, have yeah. separate realities that they're trying mm-hmm. to navigate because they know one is real and the other is, is not, mm-hmm. but they still have to go along with them. Yeah. Know? Yeah. There's so many risks to talking about it or leaving and yeah, 
so confusing for a child. Yeah. And it, it's also not something that you can talk to anybody about, or at least you couldn't then. That was a, a very bad thing about, you know, this particular era is the early 70s, mm-hmm. and these things were not yet on the table. Real quick, I just wanted to drop some knowledge on you that the virtual support groups and the new curriculum that I just put out this past year, 2021, called Unleash, the virtual safe space for survivors of sexual abuse to come into a safe place to experience belonging and free wild souls. This whole thing, we're going to continue the summer. I'm really excited. I mean, honestly, summer for me is usually a time that's kind of down, like as far as like, not sad, but like down as far as like, okay, I can be with my kids. I can spend time outdoors. I love summer. Get me in the pool. Well, not maybe in it, but beside it. But anyways, I still want to keep these groups going. I was planning on taking the summer off from Unleash and hitting it back up in the fall, but holy cow, it's been so fun. These groups have been so meaningful. In fact, many survivors have gone through one whole set of the eight weeks and then signed up for another one. It's just been a really, really meaningful, sweet, precious experience for all of us. And I just want to keep it going. So we've added some more groups for the summer. We might even pop some up for the fall. Male survivors really want to plug you in here. Uh, We've got some guys waiting in the wings for some more male survivors to sign up so that we can run a group. We really need a minimum of five to get it going. So we just need a couple more of you to be willing to take the plunge. Really hope that you'll join us. Look at our website, IamOneVoice.org. Click on the Unleash link and you'll find the list of all the groups that are starting this summer and also in the fall. We hope you'll join us. It's called Unleash. It has officially launched. Check it out now. Sign up. Go to IamOneVoice.org online. IamOneVoice.org. Do you find it still difficult, you know, as a male survivor to talk about, or do you feel like it's getting better? Well, the fact of it is, I don't, I don't talk about this to too many people. I think some mm-hmm. of my fellow cartoonists, are, uh, friends of mine, they're already surprised because I'd never talked about it. And they're probably yeah. also surprised because I'm using it as like this epic book. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's easy to talk about. I don't know if it gets easier to talk about. There are people that like I could talk to about it and then others I wouldn't. You know, yeah. like, you know, if I've had a romantic partner, for instance, mm-hmm. it's always going to come up. I'll just end up talking about it because to have a romantic partner, that's somebody you have to trust a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, plenty of people in the world, you can't afford to trust. Mm-hmm. You, you trust them as far as you throw them Church. or as much as you work with them, if they're mm-hmm. working partners or whatever it is, friends. But I also think that uh, things like this are, it's, it's asking a lot of people to understand and yeah. sympathize And um, and that goes with the lies, too. I think so many of us survivors are we believe the lie, you know, that, well, they're not going to believe it or they're going to think that I liked it or that I asked for it. It's not just that. Yeah, it's 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 also that like people can't handle it. Yeah. Um, You know, like Jack Nicholson saying you can't handle the truth. And the fact (laughs) of it is a lot of people can't and don't want to. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it helps to see that from the outset. You should know who your friends are, know who you can trust. Um, yeah. find your safe people. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me like, you know, Lynch was quite a narcissist and 
Totally. I wonder if the, you know, I think narcissistic abuse has become so much more known in the last few years um, and talked about and even with therapy, is that something that you've had to dive into with therapy? I think, you know, being abused by a narcissist brings on a whole other area of healing or recognizing, you know, the lies that you may have believed based on this person and his, you know, personality. Has that been anything you've looked at? I haven't really thought about the whole idea of narcissistic abuse. I I haven't really heard the phrase till now. Um, Okay. Uh, well, as as- I can just imagine, though, in your drawings of this this person, the the idea of the, the narcissistic personality, I can just I picture it in your cartoon of just it coming out in this drawing that depicts just because I've done so much studying of narcissistic abuse lately and the personality and everything, you know, I, I just love the idea that you could draw it and like. Yeah. Help us to see what it looks like, even when you didn't even yeah. maybe knew what it was. Well, that was very satisfying to, to draw Lynch as this mm. sort of evil cartoon character, which is in a lot of ways what he really seemed like. Yeah. Um, he was outrageously narcissistic, like yeah. to, to such an extreme degree that like as a kid, you, you sometimes would do a double take. Like he might be raging, like red faced and ready to and actually breaking things or being close to doing that. And somebody's parent might unexpectedly walk into the school and that red would drain out of his face and he would turn into this charming, Mm -hmm. uh, gregarious, so lovely to see you, Mrs. Buchanan kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, that in particular happened and it was it was so jarring to me. It was actually right the day before graduation (laughs) and it was, it was just outrageous. It's, it's outrageous to see someone turn on a dime that way from this dangerous, raging psycho mm-hmm. to this charming narcissist mm-hmm. of the parent. Yeah. And that said, um, those kinds of things, if anything, they're good because they help you to see so obviously, mm-hmm. and this happened in front of me and a few other kids, that this guy is completely full of shit. This guy yeah. is not, you know, he's, he's giving us one reality, giving the mm-hmm. parents another reality. So you can obviously see that mm-hmm. it's predicated on lies. Mm-hmm. So I, I, would, I would also say that, that like, um, kids are smart enough to know that like a yeah. huge chunk of what's going on here is oh, yeah. all lies. They, it's we, like we you can be on to the whole thing, but still be scared to death to call it out. It's not just that. See, also it's that like, if you're in a situation like that, um, you need a parental guardian. Um, and as boys, you need a father figure. So the emotional truths are such that they may overwhelm the intellectual ones that you can see that he's a liar. You can see that this is bad stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering, I can imagine, you know, drawing these kinds of situations and seeing it for what it is almost brings, um, well, 
there's a therapist friend of mine who works with children and works with children who have anxiety and like extreme fear. And she's told me that what she helps them to do is visualize the thing that they're most afraid of as being something hilarious as almost like a cartoon, you know, this, this, like this basketball coach who's been so scary to you, you know, like imagine him farting in public, you know, it's like something so crazy. And then kid laughs and it, and it brings a level of like silliness and goofiness and humanity to this thing that has become so big and scary and it's no longer big and scary anymore. Or, you know, picture this, this animal that you've been afraid of, this certain dog as being like tiny, tiny miniature. And like, you know, you can squash him like a bug, like, and it, and it takes the fear away. I wonder if in some ways being able to draw, you know, this horrible monster in these ways has almost done that in a way where you can. Yeah. Look and at actually it's been said, I, I think Freud said this, that a, a cartoonist um, attempts to gain control and power over uh, the people he's drawing, the characters he's drawing, not unlike a witch doctor might with voodoo dolls. You know what I mean? By sticking Mm -hmm. pins in them. Mm -hmm. I I think it was Freud that said that. I'm not sure. But like, um, I I can really understand that. And in a sense, you know, what a comic book artist is always doing, and it's, it's a very attractive yet demanding thing to attempt to do, draw either a comic or a comic book or a graphic novel is you have reinvented the world. You have redrawn that world, which I have here, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, almost in its entirety about a great deal of my life, which is, yeah. you know, as I say, very challenging, but also very satisfying. Yeah. And it's like an attempt at control in the same way that what you're talking about is an attempt at control. Yeah. And for me to draw this and draw Lynch in ways that make him utterly ridiculous, mm-hmm. as well as kind of an evil clown. Mm-hmm. Yes, I regain power by doing that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I'm not that kid being thrown across the room, pissing his pants in fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm drawing him doing that. And the ugliness of that rage on the part of an adult doing that to a child becomes the focus. Mm -hmm. Um, My victimization is also there, but it's his bullying, his violence Mm -hmm. that is central. Mm. Yeah. I can even for myself, you know, putting myself in your shoes and thinking about, you know, I did draw out in my healing process. I drew experiences of my own abuse Um, and I still have those, even from when I was a teenager drawing them. I remember um, feeling like once I got it down on paper, somehow it helped me. I struggled for years thinking it was my fault that I had right. somehow deserved this. And some of those experiences of actually drawing the experience out on paper helped me to understand whose fault it really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's definitely a tendency, um, especially for young people and kids, uh, if something really terrible is happening to you, the only way you can make sense of it is to think, I must have this coming because this is really bad and it couldn't be happening for no reason. So yeah. I must have done something to cause it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was so normalized because you probably as a child knew it wasn't only happening to you, right? Yeah, but but some of the things that happened to me that I drew, like in particular, that scene I just mentioned where it takes place in the 
school cafeteria and it's a really violent scene, that was public. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that a lot of kids that went to the school who are now adults will probably remember that incident. It was so extreme and it was so public. And also Mm -hmm. the fact that the teacher saw it but didn't report it becomes like uh, a public Mm -hmm. incident, a crime that Mm -hmm. everyone witnesses. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I'm so sorry you went through all that, Glenn. That that sounds just horrific. Um, I'm wondering, just as you've kind of, you know, you've mentioned you've gone through some trauma therapy, and in some senses, this has been therapeutic. Um, you know, do you think, would you recommend art to all survivors or, you know, or more of just like finding your thing as a way of healing um, and is there other things that you've kind of leaned on, you know, for survivors who are listening well, and they're like, I wish I could draw like Glenn, but I can't. It's, it's kind of really hard to know to what to suggest might, might help people. Um, to be yeah, honest, just reshaping your past, I think is just such a, something that really stands out to me and what you've done, you know? Yeah, that's true. I think even um, writing, you know, journaling, I think in some ways for those who, you know, cannot draw a stick figure, sure. I think, do you know, writing using the power of words and language, I think can so often help us reshape our past to be able to understand, like, this is the narrative that I was given by my abuser for years and years. And I've lived out of these lies, but like, I have the power just like you did Glenn to reshape your past and to really say, no, this is actually the narrative. This is what happened. This is the truth. This is how it affects me. Like you said, this has defined me in some ways, but it also isn't who I am. And you have made, you know, a name for yourself in such great ways that have nothing to do with your abuse. But yet at the same time, you've used those gifts and talents to be a voice for other survivors. And I think that's awfully powerful. My hope, I guess, is that other survivors would would find their way, their way to reshape their past, to retell their story, um, not out of the abuser's mouth, but out of their own. Yeah. um, See, this gets back to that other question about um, getting to where I could draw it. Mm. And um, in certain respects, I don't think of this book being therapeutic for me and drawing it because first of all um i should like just acknowledge that as a comic book artist i have my ambitions i'm trying to do my best work i'm trying to do a great graphic novel Mm -hmm. that's an overriding concern an overarching concern Mm -hmm. as opposed to expressing myself or catharsis so that's fair yeah i mean um i actually think that a lot of the therapy was done in advance of the book was done with my therapist Mm. so that I could attain enough distance from the material as well as a lot of passing of time Mm -hmm. because um, Mm -hmm. in, in one respect, it really was not hard drawing Lynch at all. Um, It was not hard drawing this book at all. This Mm -hmm. is the most uh, challenging and demanding book just in terms of page count and sure. scope mm-hmm. that I've ever tried, but it wasn't on a day-to-day level basis Yeah, that difficult. And I think yeah. some of this has to do with uh, 
that A, a lot of therapy had been done Mm -hmm. and B, that enough time had passed, you see. And this, this has nothing to do in a sense, although every abuser has to deal with it, every, sorry, abuse survivor has to deal with this too. Um, the, whether it's someone outside of the family or if it's somebody inside the family that abused you, but either way, the family issue is really big mm-hmm. because how did family fail you? Mm-hmm. How did your parents fail you if they allowed you to be in a place where such things like that happen? Because right. every kid knows or believes on some deep level that their parents are responsible for them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the issue that has to get worked out. That, mm-hmm. that becomes the big deal, you know, mm-hmm. which as I say, is the bigger deal in the book yeah. than, than Lynch. So because where have you landed with that now? Like what, what are you sitting with now as you've kind of, you know, made that a focus of this book, continue to work on that in your therapy? You, do you feel uh, like we're kind of left with those questions unanswered or have you come to some sort of a peaceful conclusion well, regarding my parents? Yeah. Cause I think you're right. I think most abuse survivors have those questions, whether it's someone in their own home, like mine was my stepfather that lived with me and abused me for 10 years. You know, how, how could that happen? Right. Or, you know, it's the other ones, like, how could you send me to that babysitter when I told you I didn't like her, you know, or, or that there were signs that the babysitter was probably up to something. And why didn't you pay heed to those signs? You know, right. Was it Um, more important to you to, you know, work that job (laughs) or go out for that date or whatever it was that, and put me in that situation. There's always those questions. And, I do think a lot of our healing is about finding those answers. And a lot of times we don't find the answers. And then I I actually think that a lot of the healing is in asking the questions as opposed to getting the answers. Great. Yeah. There's, there's a scene in the book where um, my character confronts his mother Mm. about all of this. And it isn't so much that he expects her to get it because he kind of knows she's not going to get it, but what, he does convey to her is that it is important. She can think whatever she wants to think, Mm -hmm. but don't try and set me straight on this. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what happens is, you know, as a, as a child, you live in your parents' world and that world becomes your world. And the growing up process is in challenging the reality of that world and that the child grows and sees that this isn't the world for me. Mm. There are other worlds out there. And I think that that is part of the process of growing up, that there be an acknowledgement that Mm. we live in different worlds and that may be the best you can get. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I, beyond a certain point, didn't expect or ask for any of my family to consider what had gone on for me with me at this boarding school. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see, say, what my sisters have to say about it, because they know about it. There's already been some press about it that they've seen. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see what, what they have to say. Um, hmm. Here's the other thing. You know, um, different people in, in a family are going to have completely different experiences of what growing up was. Right. So, you know, um, your experience with your stepfather, I don't know if you have siblings, mm-hmm. they may think of him completely differently. Yeah. Um, and they may find it really hard to accept your truth, your reality, your history, and your experience. Um, for me, it's just like I was saying, I don't just trot this stuff out. I don't like, I'm at a cocktail party and tell people, yeah, I was at this boarding school and this, this, and this happened. I don't expect them to be, to be able to handle it. Right. So it doesn't come out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do this when it's couched in art as a story, as a story that's easily read and digested Mm -hmm. if you can handle diving into it and going through it. But you got to pick up the book. You got to turn the pages. You got to decide I'm willing to take this. Mm -hmm. I can't just foist the book on you and say, read this. You know, it's like, if you will, you will. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two more questions for you. Um, I, I love what you said just a few minutes ago about how the therapy was really important before you started writing. Again, so many survivors, they want to write their story and they, they want to make a difference in the world. And that's amazing. But one thing that I've always said is I speak and I write out of my scars, not out of my open wounds. You know, I Uh don't, I don't want to heal myself or try to do that while I'm still really raw. Like I want to get to a place where it's now it's a scar and I'm going to talk about it now. And that's safe. And I think that's something that you've done with that too. So that's one thing. It's not really a question. It's more just like a praise for you and doing it that way. I think that's really healthy. Um, I think that's really, really great. Um, And my question though, is now that it's coming out now that some people, you know, that your colleagues and people in, in the the art world are knowing about your story, how does that sit with you? How do you feel about that? Um, Is this something like you are one of the very courageous male survivors who have been able to say they're a male survivor in a public space in a public sphere in their workplace, or is this something that you're, you're a little bit iffy about like, I'm wondering where you're sitting. Cause this is, you've been doing this stuff for years and no one yeah. knew this part of your story. Like this is very vulnerable, Glenn. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to give yeah. you high praise for that too. But I also in this safe space, wonder how that feels for you and um, how you're going to care for yourself <laughs> moving well, forward. You, you won't know until, um, what happens happens, you know, the book isn't out for another couple of weeks and uh, then I'll deal with it. Um, <laughs> as a cartoonist, you know, as an artist, you have to like, I guess I'd say, you know, the best part of drawing comics, you know, you're kind of an adrenaline junkie. You're drawing the story, the movement, the propulsion of the narrative. You're really getting into it and you're writing it. You're writing that whole story out and it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, for as long as it lasts and it's challenging, but it's, it's fun. You struggle with the drawing, but you get it the best you can. Mm-hmm. 
and it's satisfying. Uh, eventually you get to the end of that road when it's finished, it has to go out in the world. Mm -hmm. And basically as a cartoonist, uh, as a comic book artist, that's when the rubber hits the road mm -hmm. and it can in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of used to that. Oh, it's I always am. vulnerable that, to put your art out. Yeah. Right. That that's part of my point. Um, mm -hmm. but the second part of it here is that, see, this is not my first graphic novel memoir. Mm -hmm. I did one that came out a few years ago called Chicago, which um, was a coming of age story about myself as a kind of crazy 19 year old art school dropout mm -hmm. who drops out of the Cleveland Institute of Art and hitchhikes to Chicago thinking it's all going to be great and um, falls on his face. And, and in a way it's, it's funny, but in a lot of ways, it's like a rough experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess you'd say the climactic point of the book is after all that, I'm back home at my parents' house and they've all left for some trip and they've left me there. And I end up in the attic of the family house with my father's handgun uh, pointed at my temple. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I'm naked. And the uh, point is this, if I could draw that, I could draw this, Troll mm -hmm. Manor. And also, um, everything is a, is a test run, a dry run for the next project. Mm -hmm. And that, in a sense, was what that book was, a mm -hmm. test run for Troll Manor. Yeah. And if everybody responded with horror that I had drawn that, it would be tough to draw the book I just did. Sure. Because that would mean like, you know, look, you want to feel like you got some people in your corner. You want to mm -hmm. believe that people can handle your work. People sure. like it. Mm -hmm. And even if you're doing intense autobiographical work, um, I'm no different. Every mm -hmm. artist wants praise, or at least everybody wants something to make it worthwhile. Yeah. So um, <laughs> here's the other thing, you know, as anybody can tell you too, the worst thing is to chop down that tree and nobody hears it. So most artists will tell you that like, they'd rather be hated than ignored. <laughs> so there you go. Well, please let our listeners know where and how to find this new book. Well, yeah, it's available on Amazon. It can be pre-ordered and uh, it can also be ordered from my publisher, Fanographics. Okay. And uh yeah, that'll do it. And you can follow me on uh, Instagram, Glennhead Comics. That's G-L-E-N-N, Head, H-E-A-D, Comics. So, Thanks, Glenn. Thank you very much, Nicole. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I enjoyed me doing too. this interview. Me too. I'm certain that people are going to really celebrate and not hate you. <laughs> Your book comes out May 25th, and yeah. definitely we'll be checking that out. Thanks so much, okay. Glenn. Thank you, Nicole. You're very brave. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.